This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. <laughs> well, for those of you that don't know me, I am Tim Berkey. This is my lovely wife, Kim Berkey, for 45 years. You imagine that, being married to me for 45 years. <laughs> Tell you, miracles never cease. Uh, if you're visiting today, be sure and come back next Sunday. I promise the preaching will be much better next Sunday. Uh, Pastor Chad and Courtney are on a much-needed vacation, and Tessa had them up, I think, before 7, heading toward the beach. So uh, I always enjoy the opportunity to talk to you, so give us another chance if you're visiting. And... Uh, John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. So we see in this text that Jesus is offering us two choices, two possible outcomes to our life. Whether we will choose the, the, this culture, this world, and that path, and all it has to offer, or will, will we choose what Jesus has to offer? And so this culture, this world, the enemy of your soul steals, steals by trickery and deceit and distraction. This life will steal everything from you that matters, that counts. The world wants to rob you of everything that's important. And as it robs you, it kills the good. It kills your relationships. It kills everything that God wants for you. And in the end, if you choose that path, it destroys you. But Jesus gives us another choice, another choice, abundant life. And so the outcome that this culture has to offer or the outcome that Jesus has to offer, that's the question that we have to answer. You know, life comes with questions, doesn't it? Have you ever heard that saying, there's no such thing as stupid question? How many have heard that? Is that really true? I mean, I work for the Highway Patrol. Don't nobody tell on me I'm talking about the Highway Patrol here. But uh, I'm the guy that gives driver examinations. And uh, I love my job. I mean, I go out and I get in a car with somebody that I have never seen before that by the very definition of it cannot drive. That's why they're there to see me. And, and I go for a ride with them. So I don't know. Maybe I didn't think that through. But... So I give tests to 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, people who have let their license expire, people who uh, have reinstated drivers, uh, sighted drivers, commercial drivers, and I have been asked some, it would be rude for me to say dumb questions. We'll just say unexpected questions, okay? You know, uh, walking out to the car, one of my favorite questions that I get asked, and, and it actually I get asked often is, will you be riding along? I also get this one a lot of times. Now, are you going to drive or am I going to drive? <laughs> I am not even making this up. Uh, I've been asked, do I need to bring a car, which I don't know. Some states may furnish it. But here, a motorcycle guy asked me, and this is the truth. He literally asked me, now, will you be riding on the back as I take my test? I'm like, no, I will not. <laughs> 
Uh, I told one guy, you know, we always say, you know, make sure everything's right, sign it down here by the X. And so the guy goes, do I sign my name? <laughs> I'm wondering, well, uh, during an eye test, I always say, so read the letters on line four, left or right. And several times, I guess it's a valid question, several times I'm asked, do I read them out loud? Um, <laughs> I'm looking around here. My, my personal favorite... <laughs> was asked by one of our own Bridge family, and I won't say which mom did this, but you know, when you, when you test 15-year-olds, you need ID, and it's almost always a birth certificate for a 15-year-old, and so they come in, and uh, I say, I need to see the, your uh, ID, and she says, do you need birth control? <laughs> that was awkward. <laughs> Turned very red in the face. <laughs> I think we would agree that maybe those aren't stupid questions, but they are unexpected, interesting questions, right? Can we agree on that? And, but the important questions that I want us to consider today is that what Jesus gave us in this text, to, that he has come to give us abundant life. And how many of you want God's abundance in your life? No? You, I, I do. I mean, do, do you want his abundance for your family and for, for your marriage and, and, and for every dimension of your life? For, you, uh, th- these questions that we're going to talk about today, they will help us evaluate uh, where we're at and what's going on in our life. And, and a, an honest evaluation and answer to these questions can change the path you're on and can change the trajectory of your life. Who are you, you know, to recognize uh, who we really are, whether all of the good and the bad? You know, what are you? What did God make me to be? What did he design me to be? Where are you at is self-evaluation on my journey through life. Where am I? And then maybe the hardest one is what do I really want out of life? What do I really want for myself and for those I love? These questions can change our life. And so the first question is, who are you? Now, that sounds like a simple question to answer. The sad thing is that a lot of people, many people, don't really know who they are. I mean, we spend so much time wearing different masks and playing different roles and, and uh, all of this perception management, I think, especially with social media. You know, I don't even have Facebook, so I don't have to worry about all that. I just snoop on Kim's Facebook when I want to know what everybody's doing. Uh, but who am I really? Is a, is a question that I think many of us struggle to answer. And often we get lost in all of this. And, and you know, life gets a lot easier when we, when we realize we get comfortable in our own skin and we, we come to face the reality of who we really are, both the good and the bad, and we begin to work out the issues of our life. How many of you today would say, I have issues? <laughs> Look at those that didn't raise their hand. We know what their issue is, right? <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Everybody has got something, right? Everybody has got something. And, and, and our life works better when we recognize who we really are. And the great thing about that is, is that God already knows who we are. David said in Psalms 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up and, and you have scrutinized my path, the Lord knows us. And so the first step in abundant life is figuring out who you are and asking God to search you 
and to reflect what's going on inside of you so, so that you can come to understand what, what, the, the, what is the good, what is the bad, all of that, facing that, owning that, and working on that, and asking God to help me embrace the good, capitalize on the good, and God help me to refine the stuff in my life that isn't what it should be. Who are you? Second question, what are you? Again, that seems an easy question to answer, but many times we miss it. What, what is it that God made me to be? What is the best version of me? And again, Psalms 139. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I think a lot of us just don't realize what God created us to be that we don't really understand God's best version of ourselves, that we don't get there, we don't, we don't seek to be that best that we could be. And I think fear a lot of times keeps us from being the best version of ourselves, and, and, and frustration and, and bad decisions and, and maybe even laziness and compromise. And sometimes even success can keep us from being the best version of ourselves. You know, the, the enemy of the, the best is not bad, it's the good enough. And we get to a point that we say, well, you know, I just don't want to change. What are you? What abilities do you have? What passions do you have? Dreams, concerns, motivation. What, what moves you? Your giftings and talents. What are you? So who are you? What are you? And where are you? It's an important question. You know, on my journey through life, where am I at? What do I have to work with? What's what are my responsibilities and my resources? You know, we go through what I call ages and stages. You know, there's childhood, there's teenager, there's single young adult, there's married, no kids, there's a young family, then empty nest, then retired, then old, right? <laughs> old. <laughs> and every one of these stages, they bring challenges, but they also bring opportunities. Every single stage that you are at, and don't rush through any of those stages, believe me, before you know it, those kids are gone and, and, and it's just like, where did the time go? But at every one of those stages, the challenges and opportunities, are you maximizing the possibilities present where you are at at this moment in time to make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God? At your stage in life, are you doing everything you can do with what you have to make the impact that you want to make. Paul says we can't get stuck in a stage. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I put away that. I put away childish things. And so it's time for us to embrace the power of God to be what he made us to be. So who are you? What are you? Where are you? And what do you really want? What do you really want? That may be the hardest question to answer. What do you really want? Have you ever known someone who's just is never satisfied? I know a couple people like that. Doesn't matter where they're at, what they're doing, where, whatever they've got. Never, never, never satisfied. You know, what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your marriage to look like? What do you want for your kids? What, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to leave behind? What kind of a legacy? What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Oh, it's getting dark now, isn't it? <laughs> Life doesn't 
have to just consist of the stuff that happens to you. Did you get that? That's worth the price of admission. Life does not have to only consist of what happens to you. Stop letting everything just happen to you and begin react. Stop reacting to life and begin to act. Begin to take action, not reacting all of the time. It means stop being a victim. Make a choice as to what you want your life to be. And these four questions are at the heart of having a more abundant life. The center, they center on what God made you to be and what he wants for your life to be. Abundance, abundant life. So you reflect and you examine and you answer these questions. Then what? Well, you've got to own it. You've got to own it. You know, this may be the most countercultural idea that I'm going to say today is that we have to understand that to move into the life that God wants for us, that we've got to own it. Own what? Own us. Own the good. Own the bad. Own everything that we've got. You know, the, the, this world tells us that, uh, that everything is someone else's fault, right? We live in a world where failure is somebody else's fault. My pain is my failure, my hardships, all because of someone else. You know, if I behave badly, then someone didn't work hard enough to, to, to make me behave better. Owning it means taking responsibility for, for the life that I have. Taking responsibility for my own behavior. It's understanding that I am where I am because of the choices that I have made. I am where I am because of the choices that I have made. Now, I'm not saying that other people's actions and sins do not affect us. Obviously, they do. I mean, childhood is the thing we spend the rest of our life getting over, right? I mean, we all have been equipped and we all have been handicapped by the life that we were given when we started out. And, and so everybody doesn't get a, a, a fair shake. Everybody doesn't have the same resources and everybody doesn't have rugged good looks and rapier wit, right? I mean, we all can't be like that. <laughs> Life's not fair. I wanted to be six foot two and a full head of hair, but didn't happen. But the fact is we can't choose what other people do. We can't control what other people do, but we can always control how we respond to the life that we have. We can control us. We can choose. And so we have to face the fact that we are where we are because of the choices that we have made. And we ultimately have to understand that no one is responsible for you, but you we're the only ones. Otherwise, you make yourself a perpetual victim. You continue to empower whatever is, is acting upon you. You continue to empower that person, that thing, that situation to control you until you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. John chapter 5, Jesus is standing in Jerusalem at the pool of Bethesda, and he looks down at a man who has been at that pool for 38 years, hoping, I guess, to get well, the angel would come, trouble the water, and the, the legend was the first one in after that would get healed, and he had lain there for 38 years, and Jesus looks down at him, and he asks him a question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? 
You know, that seems like an odd question, but the reality is, is do you want to be what God made you to be? That's a question that he asks us today. Do you want to get well? Because the only person who can stop us from getting well is, in fact, ourself. And on the surface, that seems like an odd question Jesus would ask. But the truth is, not all of us want abundant living. Not all of us want to get well. Sometimes it's easier to be the victim than to, to be whole. It takes work and change and commitment and discipline and energy to, to not be the victim. And sometimes being the victim, you know, it gets us attention and, and we kind of like that. People show that they care and sometimes it gives us an excuse to not even try. But as we take stock and evaluate where we are and who we are and and what we want to be, and we answer these questions honestly, and, and we take responsibility for the answers that we get, and we accept the fact that changes need to be made, then God can move our life in a different direction. You know, the idea of positive change always reminds me of that parable in Luke 15, the prodigal son, and he finds himself in the pig pen, and you know the story. Jesus said that when he came to his senses... He said, here I am in this pig pen, and I'm starving. And it says, he came to his senses, and he says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? I will arise and go to my father. The reality is that people change when the pain of remaining the same outweighs the pain of changing. People change. When the, when the pain of staying the same is more than the pain of changing. And until that happens, you can't make them change. You know, sometimes we want to rescue that person. Sometimes we want to take away all those consequences. Until the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of changing, no change is ever done, never happens. Sometimes it's easier to stay in the pig, pig pen that we're used to. It may be a horrible situation, but we know it. And somehow we adapt to it and get comfortable with it. And sometimes it's more attractive to stay there than to face the unknown and the uncertainty of new. Change is hard, you know. A couple months ago, I, I got a new iPhone. Now, if there was ever a man that needed a new iPhone, it was me. I, I had an old iPhone 6, and, uh, you know, it would no longer download a, the new ISOs, so uh, I, I, if any of my apps, if I didn't use them, it would throw them in the cloud because I didn't have any storage. I had 16 gigabytes of storage. My new one's got 256 gigabytes of storage. And, and so any time I wasn't using something, it'd put it in the cloud, but you know what? It wouldn't come back down because my ISO was out of date, and so... Uh, my phone wouldn't give me directions. My phone wouldn't, I, uh, Facebook snuck off my phone and I couldn't open it again. I couldn't snoop anymore on what Kim was posting about my kids. And, and, and so I didn't have apps. I didn't have directions. I could make a call, <laughs> which isn't it ironic. This phone was a failure because all it could do is make a call. But in any event, I, I, I could make a call. I could take pictures, but I couldn't store the pictures. I was in bad shape. At work one day, the boss said, you know, go to this place to work for today. And she said, just put it in your phone, get directions. And I was too ashamed 
to tell her that I, my phone won't give me directions. So I'm out on the road and I'm kind of like, am I in the right place? I can't get directions. So I Googled it and, and it was say, open the app. And I'm like, I can't open the app. Just tell me where to go, you know. Phone shamed by this thing. Now, I didn't buy a phone for one simple reason. I wanted the home button. Is anybody with me? Is there any other old tech challenge? Two, three, maybe half a dozen can relate. I refused to give up the home button. I wanted the home button. I would grab Kim's phone and, and it just go swiping around and things would go away and I'd touch it and it'd do something else and I'd just get so frustrated. I said, I got to have a home button and then it happened. It happened. The Next, the third generation SE phone came out and I researched it. It had all of the same internal stuff in it as the new phones and it had a home button. And instead of 16 gigs, I had 256 gigabytes of storage. I was lavish with gigabytes. I downloaded apps. I had maps. I had directions. I, I had news. I had everything that before me. I was drunk with the power of this new phone, man. I was sitting for hours scrolling and looking. And so this is proof. This is proof that if you are stubborn enough and you get a bunch of other old tech challenged people uh, to, to join with you, that the world will bend and accommodate your tech challenged ignorant position. It worked. They made a phone just for me. And you know what? It even fit in my clamp on the belt holder that I wear with my uniform. Yeah, I got his snaps on the side. I wear it with my uniform. And I asked the girl, I said, do you have any new uh, clamp on the belt phone holders? And she goes, no. <laughs> she, was, it was, she didn't know what to say. She goes, no, we really don't sell those anymore. I mean, knows that worked this time, but it doesn't work in life. It doesn't work in life. We, we've got to change. We've got to adapt. And a life is a composite of the decisions that we make. Every decision from the house we buy, the car we drive, the words we choose, the person we marry. Every decision moves us closer to what God wants for us to be or farther away from what God wants us to be. And any positive change is healthy and, and honors God. And, and, but always it starts with spiritual change in our life. And it's amazing to me how little attention we pay to the spiritual dimension of our lives and how much time we spend on everything else. We spend great amounts of time on, on exercise, well, well, I don't, but I don't, I mean, you don't look like this from exercising. The other day, Kim, and she, she, she compels me to go on a walk. And so we're walking down and we go, this is stupid. Where are we going? We're not going anywhere. Exactly. I said, we're just walking, but we're not going anywhere. Why, why are we doing this? But, but we spend so much time on, on all of the things except the spiritual dimension of our life. We say that we know that our spirit is going to last forever, that our bodies are going to fade away, that this world is going to fade away. But think about how much time you spend on everything else in your life except that which is absolutely eternal. Courtney talked about it last week. How much time do we spend on the things that are not seen and the things that are seen? Because it's the things that are not seen that really count. And Paul wrote and said that Jesus is the foundation. 
And he says, we build on that foundation and our life has to be built on Christ as the foundation and built on the rock. And, and this abundant life has to be built on a foundation of spiritual health. This word abundant is perissos in the Greek. It means superabundant in quantity, but also superabundant in quality. And what our culture and our world offers us is more stuff and more things and physical and financial prosperity and, and fortune and fame. And the thing about all of that is the, it doesn't matter how much of that you get, you still want more. There's no satisfaction that can be had outside of Jesus. He brings contentment, contentment. Paul said, what's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And, and so we can focus on all the things that really don't count, but we're never going to find the peace that God gives us when we focus on the things of God. And Paul wrote about a life that he had lived completely devoted to empty religion. He had, he had risen through the ranks. He had done everything focused on empty religion. And he says, now I count all of that as loss. I count all things lost in view of the value of knowing Christ Jesus for whom I have suffered all these things. I count it all as rubbish. The Greek is skubalon. It literally means, well, uh, feces. That's what the word means. You, you, whatever word you use for that. Paul said it's all just that. Some of you, the only thing you'll remember today is that the preacher said feces. <laughs> said, I count it all as loss. All as poop. <laughs> for the benefit of knowing Jesus Christ. The wonder of God and his abundance is that with that we get contentment. Contentment. Satisfaction where we are at. Focus on what, not what we have, but focus on who has us. And abundance is being free to be me, free to be the God, what God created me to be, to see the abundance and to finally become what I was made to do. There's, there's the version of you that you are today, and there's a version of you that God designed you to be. And until we get as close to that as we can get, we're never going to find peace and contentment and happiness in this life. But here's the thing. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will finish it. I love that. God is going to finish me. I'm not done yet. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not done yet. Yeah, you're not done. The promise is that God is going to finish us. He's going to complete us. He's going to get us there. God's going to make it happen in our lives if we'll just let him work in our lives. Two choices. Which way do you want to go? Stand with me. As the musicians come, honest self-evaluation is difficult, really is. And oddly enough, though it's so important, it can be something that we can fly by most of our life and never really even realize we've missed it. To take an honest, thorough look at ourselves. 
And, and people can change. That what, that's what keeps us in business here. That's, that's why we gather is that we believe that people can change. The reality is, though, is that many people don't change. So refuse to give up. He promises to finish you. Refuse to give up. Refuse to quit. Keep struggling. Keep contending to be the best version of you that you can be. To become the you that God intended you to be. And accept that adversity is going to come. Jesus promised in, June, in John 16, 33. He said, in this world you will have trouble. But take courage. Or the King James says, be of good cheer. Cheer up, for I have overcome the world. So stop rolling over and playing dead when things get tough. Stop living like Life is supposed to be a bed of roses and yours is the only one that had thorns in it. I mean, just say, look, I'm going to accept the adventure. I'm going to learn to thrive in adversity. I'm going to be strong, not because I'm strong, but because God working in me is strong. Amen. Say it. God's not finished with me. Amen. Aren't you glad?